Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. Happy New Year to you all. It is a new church year. We start this Sunday, Advent 1 Year B. As is customary, Advent kicks off the church year every year, and for the next two episodes of Synaxis, we will do a little bit of a different format. I was actually a guest on the Strangely Warm podcast, which is done by the fine gentleman over at Crackers and Grape Juice. The next two weeks, I spend talking with Jason Michelli and Taylor Mertens. I hope you enjoy change of pace and format for these first two weeks of Advent because I sure enjoyed our conversations. I give you the crew from Strangely Warmed. Lord, open our hearts and minds so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and crackers and grape juice. Amen. Taylor is one of my favorite people on earth. And we have that recorded now, too, which is really like, nice to have. Top five. He loves he loves the mentions. Not, not like including my wife. Grace and peace, and welcome to this episode of Strangely Warmed. I am your host, Taylor Mertens, and today I am joined by my new favorite person in the world, Scott Jones, <laughs> and this other guy named Jason. Thank you for being here, guys. How much awesome. did you get out? This, that's, uh, like, because that is how meaningful that compliment will be. Like, he's if you get out a lot and you say that. He, he's a social butterfly. Yeah. I'm, he, wears, I'm a, he wears bow ties. I don't. Actually, I don't anymore, but that's mostly just because <laughs> the, robe, you, you, the robe gets in the way. You tie your own, though, right? Of course. I mean, yeah. You know. I know someone who wears a bow tie every day to work, and it's a clip-on. Mm. Oh, for real? That's... Yeah. I just feel like that's so, like... Did he go to Duke? He probably no, went to Duke. No. He's, he doesn't work in any religious... He's an office guy. But I'm thinking, that's like you want people to know you're douchey ahead of time. Like, <laughs> I don't want you to figure it out. Like, I don't want you to take the time. So, just you just know. Douchey. <laughs> Scott, do you know how to find out if your pastor went to Duke or not? I do, this no. I I feel like I know enough about the sort of. They'll tell you. Don't worry. They'll uh, tell you. Oh, they'll tell you. Okay, there you go. They'll tell you. Okay. And I say that as Duke grad. Anyway, we are here to today to talk about Advent One of Year B. It's uh, Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Advent One. Advent One. The readings are Isaiah sixty-four one through nine, which is about the potter and the clay. We have Psalm 81 through 7 and 17 through 19. Restore us, O God, and let your face shine. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9, waiting for Jesus. And Mark 13, 24 through 37, a nice little apocalypse. I love a little apocalypse. Have yourself a merry little apocalypse. Man, that's going to be my <laughs> sermon. Okay, so the first reading is Isaiah 64. This is about the potter and the clay. Tearing open the heavens, a whole bunch of really, really fun stuff. So to start off, I thought, Jason, I want to have a fight with you about why Advent is all about waiting. I think <laughs> I, all right, this is my hobby horse to beat. That doesn't make sense. This is my soapbox to stand on 
no, I, I, it drives me crazy how we abstract the season of Advent and make it about, you know, a vague concept like waiting and don't lean into. Oh, don't say lean into. Don't say that. <laughs> Fleming oh. is going to be so pissed. <laughs> That's why I said it. Um, but, you know, it, so if we're going to celebrate Advent, we need to like double down and make sure that what we are anticipating and waiting for is the second coming um, and not shy away from the motif of judgment uh, that are in these texts. Scott, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that that there's a typological way to approach this, right? You know, types and antitypes in literature. And so, like, you have, so in one way, right, are waiting for Christ, for, for, the, for the parousia, for the return of Christ and the end of all things, is similar to Israel's waiting for Christ's first coming. Like, there, there are ways in which they are um, similar. There are ways in which they're different because we sort of are post the first advent looking for the second advent. So, like, I think there's, there's ways in which those things are and I think that's probably what is Jason's struggle here. And I think that most pastors are not educated in things like biblical theology. So it's like, you know, it's it's the interesting. The irony of that is kind of terrible, but but yeah, yeah and by biblical theology, I kind of mean a technical term. Like Gerhardus Voss was a guy who was the first professor of biblical theology at Princeton. His 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 inaugural lecture is fantastic. And he eventually um, you know, all the people at Westminster still read him, uh, even though it's a much different place than it used to be. Uh, much they're not as nice as they used to be, Westminster. But, <laughs> but like um, Voss thought, biblical theology was tracing the unfolding of special revelation from like the seed in Genesis, like the acorn all the way to the fully bloomed tree in the book of revelation. Mm -hmm. So I think like, you know, like John, like for instance, like John Stott's book on preaching, I think he says, you know, how do we sort of between two worlds? Well, how do we, if we're preaching from Abraham or something or Isaiah, how do we go from Isaiah to us? And now the thing is, how do you go from Abraham or Isaiah to Christ and then to us, you know, because their connection to him is, one of waiting. Ours is a different one of waiting, but it's also one of deliverance. So it's so just kind of try to recreate this false sense of, oh, Christ didn't come and reset the clock. It's just counterintuitive. And the average person appears like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, right. right. Yeah, it's weird. Scott so, has done, one of the things Scott has taught me is to go back and appreciate um, Luther's distinction between the law and the gospel. And so, and so I do think there is value in that the first word we hear before the incarnation is a word of judgment, um, because only in a posture of repentance can we hear the promise of Christ's coming. Without the law, the acknowledgement of it, there's no need for mercy. You know, it's, it's funny because sometimes you ever sit in churches and pray a prayer of confession that you feel better about yourself after you pray. Like, God, <laughs> we're doing so much for the marginal and intersectionality, and yet we could do more. You've given us so much. And while we strive, we know there's always things undone. We're going to get a comments about that. And though the poor we shall always have with us, there's much fewer now. <laughs> and but i guess there could be fewer so, you know i mean like there are these like prayers that no i i i think you're right i think a lot of us have a sufficiently high anthropology that god needing to take flesh and rescue us doesn't really make sense um but isaiah you know isaiah in this text tells us that all of our de- like all of our good righteous deeds are you know measure up to being a filthy cloth rag i think is what it says in the hebrew yeah so so before we jump to that part of it i, I think it's important that sort of talking about this looking forward looking backward this the sort of way that we we struggle with time and looking at advent 
I really like the first verse. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. I'm almost positive that the words here for tearing open the heavens are the same words that are used in Mark 1 uh, when mm-hmm. Jesus is baptized. The clouds, the heavens are ripped apart. The word schizomenos. And so, you know, it, it is looking forward, but that's also, you know, when you think about the ascension that God, God does have to tear open the heavens to have a new heaven and a new earth. So in this one verse, we're kind of reading backwards and reading forwards. Uh, and that gets sort of to Scott's point about how do we go from Abraham to Isaiah, to Jesus, to us, to back and, and trying to read all of these things together rather than just being isolated in Hey, let's wait for baby Jesus. Well, because you also have to, you have to go from Abraham to Isaiah to Jesus to the cross and then back to the cradle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's what you and I were talking about before we started recording is that, you know, we can receive these words of judgment and advent only in the knowledge that that judgment has been worked out upon the cross in Christ, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so, yeah, so law becomes gospel in Scott's words. We know the end of the story. So those we have be, those to, be to tell those it. actually be like words that I think go back to the new Testament. What you say? <laughs> but I can't take credit for that. Tribute them. <laughs> the Bible. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to Psalm 80. We've got restore us. O God and let your face shine. You know, makes me shine. Jesus shine. Ugh. That's your favorite, right? Jason? No. I, I, I don't hate I don't hate that song. I don't know why. I mean I don't like love it, but like there's something like, da, 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 da. Mm, mm, I don't I don't, mm, I don't hate mm, it. I don't love it, but I don't hate mm. it. That jig you were just doing, you were really feeling the spirit as yeah, you it's any Christian song that comes with hand motions, that's how I feel. You make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Wouldn't it be great if as you're reading that you could do the Simpsons bully effect? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha I just went right in. So how would you preach Psalm eighty, Scott? I don't know. What would I do with it? I, I'm do, I, I uh yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think like there, there is like so. So I think like I would just go with this crutch, right? I mean, I think like the the best book on the. I think I'd say this. Yeah, yeah. I won't qualify this. My, I think the best book I've read on overall in the Psalms. It's not long. It's Brueggemann's Theology of the Psalms. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, there are basically three kinds of psalms. There's psalms of orientation. And this is the ultimate form of law and law in the good sense, right? Like, mm-hmm. what does God's law show us? Well, the summary of the law is love God and love all that God's made. And that is good. Now, now the law is powerless to demand what it asks, right? Mm-hmm. But but it, there is a goodness there because it, it does show us, like, what God's character and things. So, like, Psalm 1, right? Oh, my gosh, the law is so great. And if you just meditate on Torah, you're like a tree right next to a river. And it's amazing. And then he says, you know, you have psalms of disorientation, right? These are psalms that were, it's like, gosh, you you've, you you don't seem like you're anywhere. If you're really there, you'd bash our enemies, babies, you know, against the rock and all these kinds of things. And then you have um, psalms of reorientation, mm-hmm. where like Psalm 40, you know, I, I, you know, he, he, he took me out of the pit, put my feet upon a rock. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't know. So I guess we're, we're here. We've got, um, I, I would guess disorientation, right? I mean, to some degree. Well, yeah. I mean, so like, if you look at verse four, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You know, we tend to think that like, you're just talking about the prayer of confession. Like it makes us feel good when we do this. Like maybe, you know, just by doing this is exactly what God wants us to do. But what does it say when God is angry with the way we are praying? That's disorienting. You know, when we think we're doing the right thing and in fact, no, our, our prayers are actually unfaithful. Yeah. And I think that's, and it's really interesting because I think that orientation faith seems to me abstract. 
like, I mean, it's not unreal. It's like what we talk about, well, before the fall, you know, but which is not a meaningless utterance, but it's incredibly abstract, right? Mm-hmm. It's why the Republican tax plan is probably not going to pass, right? You're going to take away my concrete thing, uh, mortgage tax deduction. Or, oh, it's going to be okay, though, because I'm promising an abstraction, a double standard deduction, which for most people is going to come. And then, wait, 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 you know, it's like the abstract never tr- trumps the concrete, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and I think that, like, in reality, it's most of our, the, our deep experiences are in disorientation and reorientation. <laughs> like, most of the life of faith is lived somewhere there, with, or, with orientation kind of being an, a thing that's not not true it's just not mostly where anybody lives their lives like we're yeah. always in some way on the way right like our our um my calvin teacher used to say i'm a calvinist which i means i, re- I repent of my virtues not just my vices mm-hmm. <laughs> because our most virtuous day right we're usually being virtue virtuous pretty aware that someone's watching yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. What, what is what does nietzsche say about christian charity the thing about christian charity is it likes being rewarded <laughs> And, and that's a good, I mean, that's a good word of reminding for Advent, you know, that w- we are repenting of our virtue and our goodness, um, or else God would not need to come for us. Yeah. And I, I think too, like going back on to the previous Advent um, rant, I was thinking like, one of the, I love Advent hymns. They're my, some of my favorite hymns mm-hmm. and they're all in minor keys. Yep. So they're, but which, which is beautiful in one way, but I think I take Jason's point here that, but there is a minor, right? Like in our existence now, like a longing for the completion of what was one. So sort of like, how do you keep the major and the minor together? Mm. And I think that's the challenge. Like, I think that's the challenge. So is, 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 is keeping, is realizing that we can't go back to, to what the minor keys are. That's a really good metaphor. Experiencing, mm-hmm. yeah. That's really, I really like that. That's good. It was a metaphor too. I was thinking, was it a metaphor? Yeah, it was. It's like sometimes no. when I say something is ironic, I'm like, wait. Is that, ar- is that really ironic? It was just coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's really not, there's no irony. I just. It's like rain. All right. On, uh, on to 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to wait for Jesus. Talks about emphasizing the spiritual gifts that are in the congregation, that are in the people of Corinth. Uh, and I was thinking about this, like we do need to, we need to strengthen like the gifts that we have. We need to emphasize those because we as the church tend to emphasize what's wrong with the church rather than what's right with the church. But at the same time, I think there's a danger because when we emphasize our own gifts, we forget to realize, as Paul rightly puts out here, that all of this is because the grace of God has been given to us in Christ Jesus. I think it's, uh, we mentioned Luther earlier. I was, I've been re- re- reading a lot of Luther lately. And I think it's, it's on this text that he makes the point that it's odd that Paul adds, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it, it makes the comment that, you know, it's, you know, what Paul wants to do there is secure our knowledge that there is no God other than the Father who sends the Son. Um, that, you know, the God who condescends to us in Christ is constantly condescending to us in water and wine and bread. I like that. I like mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. It's actually um, a book by Gordon Fee called God's Empowering Presence. It's not a short book, but it's uh, about Paul's kind of pneumatology and... He basically art makes this interesting argument that oftentimes Paul will 
do grammatical pairings of father, son, and spirit and use the same verb constructions. Mm. So it's like, it's not what we would call full-blown developed Trinitarianism, but it, there is clearly a sort of trying to make, because a lot of times the spirit seems like impersonal. So it, it, Paul uses mm-hmm. this personal. I, I, pres- I presented on like Bart and the spirit and Dan Migler's Bart seminar. And like, he like, liked the papers. Like it's Scott seems to have gotten some great insights from Gordon Fee. <laughs> like, cause he's a Pentecostal. <laughs> I was like, yeah, guess what? You know, the tr- truth is where you find it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it shall set thee free. Be free. The other thing that's interesting is 1 Corinthians 13, for instance, everybody's like hearing at the wedding, love is patient, love is kind of... Well, Paul's just rehearsing everything he's called them before that. Like, you're not patient, you're not kind, mm-hmm, you're right. drunk at the Eucharist, you're self-seeking, you, you know, like... But it's interesting. So he looks at the congregation. That's why people, Bill, my friend Bill Bohr always says, you know, people when they say... We want to go back to a New Testament Christianity. He's like, be careful. You could become the Corinthians. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a church that has sexual morality that makes the pagans blush. I mean, Mm -hmm. and yet he can say that you're equipped, like that you're, you are fully, you have. So it can't be a statement just about them. Because obviously uh, they're like the worst. Now I would say that the, the disciples are like the worst adult Sunday school class that ever lived. They're worse than the, they make the disciples look great. <laughs> and that's a good point. Uh, is, I mean, so like, I mean, what, what? That's a reminder that even in the midst of our disorientation, we already have what is promised in Advent. Yeah. What does Luther say in Mighty Fortress? I got you know, the spirit and the gifts are ours. And even when we are, are there, our church story is adventures and missing the point. Like despite all of the incongruity in their life together, Paul calls me, well, see, look at what a, a bunch of uh, asshats you are. And, you know, like that means you're, you don't have this. You know, he he's clear to affirm that, that, that in Christ they have all these things, even if their witness seems to offer a counter testimony to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to know now how I can call people asshats. <laughs> That's such a weird saying, right? No, I, so I, the, the last verse, I, I, in my experience, we when we talk about faith, it's always from the human perspective that we need to have more faith. We don't have enough faith. This is what we need to put our faith in. And I like how Paul here, you know, God is faithful. By him, you were called into the fellowship of the son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, you know, I think we could do more to emphasize a little bit of God's faithfulness over and against our own. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's interesting to just, you know, to take to take the idea of Christ coming during Advent and Christmas and just change out Christ for faith. You know, I mean, that's what Paul does in Galatians. Um, you know, now that faith has come, but he's talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to Mark 13. Let's talk about this little apocalypse. Mark 13, 24 through 37. Whenever I read about the apocalypses or read any of this sort of imagery from scripture, I always picture um, the the scene of Judgment Day from Terminator 2. <laughs> you know, when she's like up at the fence and she's and then like the, the cloud comes and it burns the kid on the swing. It's a terrible image, but that's what I always picture. But in those days, after after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Uh, about that time, nobody knows. So my favorite bi- biblical joke, my favorite Bible joke is from this passage. When people are like, hey, what time does the service start? I always say, about that time, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not even the son, but only the father. And how, no many people, one, how many people laugh at that? No one ever laughs. I actually made that joke at a clergy meeting a couple weeks ago. Who are the only people that should really get that joke? And they had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> It's not really a joke, though. It's more of an obscurantist comment. Yeah, 
two pastors whose job is to proclaim the word. <laughs> My favorite biblical joke <laughs> is Adam said to Eve, stand back. We don't know how big this gets. My favorite is Moses coming down. Good news with the talents. I got him down from 400 to 10. What's the bad news? I couldn't get rid of adultery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I heard Fleming Rutledge tell that joke one time. The typical thing, or I think many people would say that Jesus is predicting his own uh, perusing or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's not probably correct. Um, well, like, give I'm, us the proper interpretation. I, I, well, I just, I'm with N.T. Wright and other, a lot of uh, reformed, they tend to be more evangelical reformed types, but a lot of them think that he's actually looking at 70 AD mm-hmm. and, and sort of what's going to happen. the destruction of the, of the temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because in some ways, the prophecy with the fig tree and things like this, you know, all about not bearing fruit and, and the judgment on uh, the temple, which is meant to radiate the presence of God. And mm-hmm. it's actually almost seemingly doing the opposite. And mm-hmm. in, in, in that, you know, in Jesus' constant temple criticisms, that he's mm-hmm. to become the new temple, right? And so, you know, the, the temple and Torah, uh, you know, are kind of fulfilled in Christ and spirit, it seems. And so I think he's talking about this cataclysmic event, like that gives way to the 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 new age, right? So like, what what's the new age? It begins in the death and resurrection of Christ. And it's almost like, I think that the... AD 70 and the sort of real, you know, cataclysm that comes in Jerusalem is almost like a a pointing back to the vindication of the new temple that is Christ and his body. Yeah, I think it's in, is it Malachi or Zephaniah? I mean, the Old Testament ends with this idea, this image of someone being on a watchtower, you know, waiting for rescue to come. And so... it's interesting how Jesus in Advent places us in the same position of Israel waiting for the Messiah. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's, you know, there's this watch, we're called this watchfulness. And you think about like the part of the um, Heidelberg Catechism, question 52 says, you know, what comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? And the answer is that in all afflictions and persecutions with uplifted head, I may wait for the judge from heaven. Mm. Has already offered himself to the judgment mm-hmm. of God for me, and has taken away from me all curse. So, what does what, what watch watching look like, Scott? Why do we need to keep awake? I have my Apple Watch to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> my wife got me an Apple Watch for my birthday, and like it's like the greatest. I love it. I thought who would want an Apple Watch? But it's a, I love it. It's awesome. Just gonna say, I'm totally sold out. And at this point, we should thank our sponsor, Apple, for providing the funding (laughs) for this podcast. Yeah, I'm talking on an iMac right here in case I have my MacBook, my iPad, my iPhone is plugged in. It's gold, like a golden calf. What do we? So, what does watching look like? How how are we? How do how do we watch? Keep watch. Yeah, I, I think like on some on some level, right? Um, it, it's funny because Jonathan Edwards in Religious Affections kind of teaches that sort of all sin is some form of unbelief, right? So so the pastoral art for him is figuring out what reality is choking out the reality that the Heidelberg Catechism just talked about. This deliverance that you don't have to be your own judge. The, the true mm-hmm. judge was judging your place. So I think it's in some ways, right? Like it, it's funny. People think this is so extreme and it maybe is, but it's, you know, there's some sense to it, right? Like Gerhard Ford has said, basically sanctification is just getting used to your justification. <laughs> like, and, the, and there's something true about that. I don't right? think that's extreme at all. I think it's true. Yeah. I mean, think, think about like marriage, right? Like when are you most loving and most transparent when you've done something nice and you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm really trying to be a good spouse or, or when like you've let your spouse down and they have not 
judged you and been forgiving and understanding and allows you to be vulnerable and not judge you right. They probably could judge you, right? And and those are the times where you're actually willing to go the extra mile, right? It's usually mm-hmm. in the midst of our own so I don't know, maybe it's meditation on our on our own deliverance that we've had, which makes us, I think, also attuned to where, you know, the, the real suffering and struggle is around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only final thing I want to add about Mark 13 is, is the reminder that this thing, this transformation that takes place in Christ is not limited to one's heart or one's soul, but it, it takes place in the very cosmic, earthly creation. You know, this isn't just feeling better about Jesus. It's the stars are going to fall from heaven. I mean, all of the cosmos is being rewritten in this person, in this word of God. Did you see Stranger Things season two? Yeah. I, one of the most moving things to me in that was this thing when with, with the guy who has like the hair, like Steve, I forget his name. Um, yeah. The he, babysitter. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Or the guy. Yeah. He's his cat gets eaten by that little thing from. The oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he and he befriends that that thing. No, 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 I haven't seen it yet. Oh, uh, sorry. Well, this is spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But then like when the thing grows a little bit, it still recognizes him. Mm-hmm. And that there's this sort of inbreaking of the kingdom, like you see, you see this, like you see these videos where, like, you know, a, a pit bull will adopt a kitten or a cat will adopt, a, and there's these beautiful things where, like, you see in creation this the, these these things that are supposed to just be so normal that states of alienation, and yet they're not. And you think like that this is a promise that those like maybe everything will be like one of those annoying sentimental Facebook videos <laughs> all around us, which I delight in. And Bill Bohr does not find as moving. I can't believe you spoiled that. Next, you're going to tell me that James Gandolfini dies at the end of The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to Jason and Taylor from Strangely Warm. Check out that podcast and crackers and grape juice. And thanks to you again for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well and have a blessed Advent.